open the Word of God with me to that tenth chapter of John's Gospel, where we will consider just a few verses of this lengthy passage about Jesus Christ as the door of the sheep and the good shepherd of the sheep. There are at least a couple parables here. We only want part of one of them due to time and due to us thinking upon one subject closely rather than several subjects loosely. John chapter 10, I read to you verses 11 through 16. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. My dear brethren, I hope I can convey a little bit from these words to you. We're at a disadvantage with some of the Bible, including this section of Scripture, because we do not know sheep, shepherds, or sheepfolds. We did purchase a ram a couple years ago for your learning, but we still don't know anything about sheep, shepherds, or sheepfolds. We use Psalm 23 and other places like it to learn a little bit about sheep and shepherds. There's several lessons here in John 10. We want one, that Jesus is the good shepherd. These parables were given to a crowd that included Pharisees who had just objected and rejected the man that was born blind that Jesus had healed in John chapter 9. The entire chapter is given to that event, and the 21st verse of this chapter tells us that the continuity implied in the first verse is true. And that the comparison that Jesus is drawing here is toward those lacking compassion for the man born blind and their arrogance toward him and his family in contrast to the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand this passage, the one that I read to you, to be primarily practical, not legal, not vital, practical, with a comparison of Jesus Christ to the Pharisees. They are the thieves, they are the robbers, and they are the hirelings. But with the overriding lesson being higher than that, broader than that, and bigger than that. 
the overriding lesson that we want to get, and it's true of what we want to seek in every parable, is the main lesson. We don't want to get hung up in the details and lose sight of the main lesson. The main lesson is that we have a wonderful shepherd in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are reasons why he is such a dedicated, compassionate, caring, exemplary, infinitely perfect shepherd that should be understandable to our minds. The contrast will be Jesus versus a hireling. We are not dealing with the thieves and the robbers. We are dealing with hirelings. We want to see Jesus personally, intimately, devotedly, passionately as the good shepherd of our souls. It's all right here. Lord, have mercy upon me. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. There is no we here. There is no one that helps him shepherd in the real sense of the word. There is no Apostle Paul in John 10, 11. The Apostle Paul is not necessary. God can raise up Apostle Pauls from stones. Jesus is the good shepherd. We want to focus and keep our attention on him. He was not ashamed, nor was he fearful of declaring himself to be that shepherd. And he is not a shepherd based on past accomplishments or future desires. He is the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Not I want to be, or I could be, or I would be if you would cooperate with me, but I am the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He's not a good shepherd. There's only one. You need only one. You have only one. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It says of him, and he says of himself, I am the good shepherd. There are many kinds of shepherds. There are are those who pretend to be shepherds, but they are but hirelings. Jesus is the good shepherd. Few are good, and none are as good as the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. God chose for that agrarian, agricultural, livestock-oriented society the metaphors of shepherds and sheep. And it's a shame that we don't understand more But we're just going to have to think about those weak, helpless, foolish, defenseless animals and the care that a shepherd would provide for them in defending them from their enemies and leading the dull-witted animals to the proper grass and the best water for their feeding and nourishment. And that he would take care of them. And there have been great shepherds throughout the Bible described to us, whether it's Jacob with Laban's sheep, or David with his father's sheep, or David with Nabal's sheep, and other examples. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Let me read to you verses 12 and 13. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, And leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. 
Let me speak to you for a few minutes about hirelings. There are things that we can learn for our own lives. There are things that you can apply when you go to the job tomorrow morning. But the main lesson that we want to get as I describe hirelings is how different the Lord Jesus Christ is. Now I know what clause I just skipped over. Because we're going to have that clause again. And trust me, this whole assembly is because the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. I know what it says in verse 11. We'll come back to that because it's also in verse 15. What is an hireling? An hireling is an employee. A hired servant, a day laborer, a wage earner, a clock puncher. That's exactly what the word means. That's exactly how it's used in the Bible. The Oxford English Dictionary says one who serves for hire or wages. A hired servant. He's clearly not the shepherd because verse 12 tells us he is not the shepherd. There is a huge difference between the shepherd and the hireling. There is a huge difference between an owner and an employee. And so I want to speak to you by God's grace about an owner's mentality. And you shall see that my intention is far less your practical conversion to a godly and Christian work ethic than it is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ as the owner of the sheep. And how He obtained ownership of them And how important they are to Him organically, personally, positionally, by His office as the shepherd of the sheep. Who gave them to Him? How many He'll lose? How well He knows us? How well we should know Him? And that we had better follow Him or there is no evidence that He is our shepherd and we are His sheep. I do not believe that this is some fatalistic passage that we need to corrupt and twist to turn it into some legal, vital, or final phase of salvation. Don't see it at all. If I saw it that way in the past, and if you've ever heard me preach it or allude to it that way in the past, forgive me. Progress is made in learning, and without learning there is no progress, and without progress there is no change. But there's nothing vital or legal or final here except his death, but that is just describing the practical affection, commitment, and dedication that Jesus has to his sheep. I've heard it and read it, twisted and turned into some legalistic, vital, final aspect of salvation that leaves really nothing and is inconsistent with the confrontation that took place in verses 26 and 27, where there is definitely a call to obedience on our part practically. What is the character of of an hireling. The Bible uses this a few times in the Old Testament to describe insecure, short-term employment. These kind of individuals, day laborers, are those found in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus went out into the marketplace and hired some early in the morning for a penny for the day. A hireling only cares about his wages because he has no other commitment to the business. He does not see the sheep as assets to nourish and to protect for a greater return far exceeding his wages. Doesn't grasp that. His mind isn't big enough and he has no vested interest in the sheep business. He only has a vested interest in putting in the time for the day 
so today can end and he can get his penny and he can buy a soda on the way home. That's a hireling. He can't think beyond punching in and punching out, getting a penny and buying a soda. The idea of there being bigger things and bigger commitments and responsibilities and investments that have been made and very prosperous returns that can be realized don't cross his mind. He's not vested in them. He doesn't grasp them. All he can think about is getting that paycheck, and the paycheck's a penny, read Matthew 20, and the object's a soda. For the case of us to appreciate this hireling. Since his wages are based primarily on time, he paces himself without regard for the business. And everyone that has owned a business in this church can appreciate this parable and Jesus' words in verses 12 and 13 than the rest of you. None of us have been shepherds, so it's hard for us to understand fully sheep, shepherds and sheepfolds. But we can understand an owner's mentality, and we can understand a hireling's mentality. And for two verses, the Lord Jesus Christ clearly describes a hireling. He's not the shepherd. So that tells us his condition and position as a hireling. And he doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't even have a little bit of an owner's interest in them. At the first sight of danger, he runs away, according to verse 12. And he leaves the sheep. The wolf gets the sheep. The sheep are scattered. The business is destroyed. Verse 13, Jesus explains, The hireling runs away at the first sight of a danger and threat because he is an hireling. He's an employee. An employee never cares about the business like an owner of the business cares about the business. He cares not for the sheep. He doesn't understand what is on those four hooves. He doesn't understand what is on their back. He doesn't understand what is on their belly. He doesn't understand what comes out of their mammary glands. Sheep were a great industry and trade in Israel. And the shepherds understood that because they had sheep that were their own, that were committed to them. And the only return they were going to get depended on how well they nourished, led, and protected those sheep. I'm talking about employees on the job because that's what the Lord did for two verses here in the middle of John chapter 10. Those who have owned a business know with great conviction the character of mere hirelings. They are the ones who punch in promptly upon arrival and then look for coffee and a break. They will go straight from their car to the time clock in order to punch in so that they can start getting their per hour wages. As soon as they've punched in, they feel a great sense of accomplishment. It's one of the biggest things they'll do that day. They have punched in. Now they look for a break. They wander around. They love to get into a conversation with anybody that will talk because talking is easier than working. And the reason is the big sign that was overhead the door they went through to get to the time clock doesn't mean anything to them. The thousands of hours and the millions of dollars that may have been invested in that business in order to give this little day laborer a job have don't cross his mind. He's too small of a mind to appreciate that. 
he just heads for the time clock because he's a hireling and the business is not his and he's not an owner. They are the ones who finish the day slowly, talking much, before they eventually and finally punch out. They want punching in to be the first thing they do. They want punching out to be the last thing they do so they can get as many hours as possible in order to get their penny for a soda on the way home. Big thinkers. They are the ones who pace themselves slowly through every task because if they can burn time, the day gets over with more quickly for them. They're the ones who take as many breaks as long as possible in order to avoid working hard. Jesus understood that. Do you know where ownership is stated in the 12th verse? It's stated with these words. Whose own the sheep are not. This is the owner's mentality. Jesus will refer to the sheep not as his sheep, referring to his father. But he will refer to the sheep as my sheep. Because they're my sheep. I own them. I've been assigned to take care of them. They are my business. Whose own the sheep are not. It's the difference between an owner and a carnal worldly employee. They are the ones who never think about what could or should be done, but they need to be told every single thing they do during a day. As soon as they run out of doing what's been assigned to them, they'll stand around with their hands in their pockets getting them warm, even if the temperature is 95 degrees in a restaurant kitchen. They can fold their arms just like Proverbs describes. They don't think of what else could I do. Are there any cleaning jobs that I could go do right now since I have finished the task given to me? They need to be told what to do because they are not thinking of the long-term overall health and prosperity of that business that will feed many if it's taken care of. They are the ones that will waste product or supplies because it doesn't come out of their wages. They're hirelings. Jesus knew the difference. Can you tell that Jesus knew the difference? By understanding John 10, 12 and 13. Now, my brethren, this is not my point. But as I leave this particular point, let me say this. Christian employees will blow this accurate and true description to pieces by a godly work ethic. You will work with an owner's mentality because you are going to do it as unto the Lord Himself from your heart and heartily as it's described in Colossians chapter 3, in four verses there, 22 through 25. Christians regard their jobs as service to Jesus Christ from their hearts. It's what God has called Christians to do, and they should do it well. I want to say one more thing on this particular point. Intelligent citizens of the United States of America should understand that Labor Day is the worst holiday on our calendar and was instituted in this nation 120 years ago to honor rebellious hirelings. Period. The Haymarket strike in Chicago and the Pullman strike near Chicago. And our government caved in and rammed this through Congress in a couple of days in order to honor unions and union instigators that are nothing but lazy and rebellious hirelings. 
That's why they have to have a union to protect themselves from not doing anything but getting paid something. Understand what goes on in our nation. And understand that Jesus understood a Christian work ethic. You know it's taught throughout the Bible. You know that Solomon taught it in Proverbs. You know that Paul taught it in several places. You know that Peter taught it. You know that Titus received it from Paul in Titus chapter 2. Another point about the hireling. He only cares about the day's wages, so he's never going to fight a danger or a threat that approaches the sheep. He'll fly out the door and quit his responsibilities at the first sign of any danger or trouble. It's an easy calculation in a hireling's mind. I'm only getting a penny a day for my soda, and this is dangerous. I'm gone. He can't think about the business. His mind isn't big enough. He has no vested interest. He's invested no capital. It hasn't been assigned to him, although it has by the shepherd. But he can't think the way a shepherd thinks. Very important, brethren. Jesus didn't put these two verses in here to fill up space like you did in the papers you wrote in high school. Because the sheep are not his, he doesn't grasp the investment that's been made in them and the labor that's been put into them. You know, a sheep that's several years old, that is many, many hours and time and investment in food and care and protection by the owner of the sheep, who is the shepherd. Because the sheep are not his, he doesn't grasp the return on capital necessary to keep the business going. Because the sheep are not his, he doesn't feel any compassion for them. Because the sheep are not his, he doesn't feel highly motivated to protect them from dangerous attackers. Because the sheep are not his, he doesn't grasp the loss of their lives. If he can but save his own. Because the sheep are not his, he doesn't have an owner's mentality for them like the shepherd of the sheep. Christian employees will blow this accurate and true description of hirelings to pieces. You will never purloin on the job. You will show all good fidelity. Titus chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. You will treat that business as if it were your own because you're doing it for the sake of the Lord Christ. Examples of this kind of committed and dedicated service are found in the Bible. Jacob in Genesis chapter 31 describes very carefully about the pain and trouble he went through as a shepherd of the sheep. But he was not the shepherd. He was an hireling. But he conducted himself like a shepherd. What were his wages? Two daughters of Laban and a paycheck that was changed ten times. He tells us so. Laban, you've changed my wages ten times. I have worked 14 years for your two daughters, and you've changed my wages ten times during the other six years. And this is what I did for you. And if you go read it, it's a wonderful description of the shepherd of sheep, though he was in hireling. He fulfilled a godly Christian work ethic. An owner's mentality is so different from a hireling's mentality. Joseph had an owner's mentality. Potiphar knew that, and so he could commit everything that he owned into Joseph's hands because he knew that Joseph would take care of it as well or better than he could have. And the Bible tells us all he knew is that he had food every night for supper out of all his wealth. David did it with his father's sheep. Did he run from a bear? Did he run from a lion? David is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ for a reason. Though young, though despised by his siblings, 
he defended his sheep because they had been assigned to him by his father. David with Nabal's sheep. Daniel with the kingdoms of Babylon, Media, and Persia. Treated them like his own. And they loved him for it. Potiphar loved Joseph because Joseph saved the nation, though it was not his. He was an hireling, but he took care of Egypt like he was a shepherd. There have been great men like that in the Bible, but they're far inferior to the one I'm telling you about. I'm telling you about the Lord Jesus Christ. What's an owner's mentality? An owner doesn't care about wages, for he sees past, he sees the past investment that he's made and the future return on capital. It means everything to him. He only sees the big business that provides for day laborers. An owner doesn't care about time, for he's not paid for time. One of the worst practices we have in this nation is to pay people for time. They should be paid for productivity. You pay somebody piecemeal, I'll tell you they'll work harder than punching a time clock. An owner doesn't care about time. He wishes there was more time, not less time. He wishes there was more time so that he can be productive in using his abilities as well as he can. An owner scoffs at fear, for he knows that he has to protect his assets to survive and succeed. He has a vested interest in a business. His capital, his planning, his labor, and the risks that he's taken. All of his thoughts and actions are related to assets and preserving that business rather than a penny and a soda. You know, I'm thankful that there's some businesses in this country that know a little bit of this. And I'm only telling you this for you to grasp the weight because you see it every day in the workplace. Outback Steakhouse. You can't become a general manager of Outback Steakhouse without making a capital investment in Outback Steakhouses. They understand the difference between an owner and a hireling. You can't be a general manager of a Chick-fil-A without making an investment. Though it's very small, much smaller than Outback's, they understand the difference here. Brethren, we ought to have Owner's Day in America. Not Labor Day. There ought to be Owner's Day. If it wasn't for owners' capital and their far greater wisdom and their far greater effort, there wouldn't be jobs for laborers. Some communists will say, well, if it wasn't for laborers, there wouldn't be owners. There will always be owners because there will always be those that will break strike lines and who want to really work. You are wrong. Every man must feed his own belly, and most men are incapable of raising produce from the earth in order to feed themselves, and owners make up the difference. We ought to have owners. Owners are so superior to laborers, the Bible teaches it. You know it from being in the workplace. Your jobs depend upon somebody that put a great deal of capital to work, a great deal of effort to work, a whole lot of planning, and have taken a whole lot of risks in their business in order for you to be able to find a time clock, punch in, and get paid for mere time when they only get paid based on productivity. A ministerial hireling is one like almost every one Paul dealt with. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, I have no man that is like-minded like Timothy, who cares for the things of the Lord and, the cares, and, the, and the, he cares for the things of the churches rather than his own things. There are Marks, Marks who left the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. Demas who forsook the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4. They're hirelings. They're not owners. Whose own the sheep are not. 
I have a whole section on the Pharisees because Matthew chapter 23 describes the Pharisees as the ultimate hirelings and thieves and robbers, but that we don't have time for it. What is the character of the good shepherd? What is the character of Jesus, the good shepherd? Verse 11 says, The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. That is an owner's mentality. He gives all that he has in order to make this business of a sheepfold and a flock of sheep prosperous. And it says it again in verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm nothing like a hireling. A hireling flees not when he's about to die. He flees at the sight of danger because the sheep are not his. So he doesn't have an owner's mentality toward them. How can we comprehend the difference between Jesus and a hireling? The hireling flees at the sight of a wolf. Jesus went out and met the wolf. And Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. It's painful for a hireling to get his hands dirty, let alone face a deadly threat and die for sheep. I do not believe the Lord Jesus Christ wants you focused preeminently on hireling ministers in this passage. I believe He wants you preeminently focused on the fact that He is an infinitely good, compassionate, committed, dedicated owner of the sheep and will not lose a single one of His. Because that's the overriding lesson contained in the verses that are here. This exemplary context conduct of Jesus Christ breaks down in our minds. And I'll share more with you in just a moment. So much so are the sheep His possession that Jesus is not fulfilled without His sheep. Note how He calls them my sheep in verse 14, my sheep in verse 26, my sheep in verse 27 that He received from the Father. Do you know that the Bible says about our relationship with Jesus Christ that we are the fullness of of Him that filleth all in all. That's Ephesians 1.23. Jesus Christ fills all in all. He is the living God in a human body. But we are the fulfillment of Him. He is the head. We are His body. Without us, He is incomplete. That is how close the organic, vital, eternal relationship is between Jesus Christ and His sheep. He is totally committed to the business of the sheepfold. And the flock of sheep. Jesus has intimate knowledge of his sheep. In verses 14 and 15, he says, I know my sheep. And Christine, as you go to surgery tomorrow, he knows his sheep. He knows the very number of hairs on your head. He knows his sheep. And he's known of his sheep. We know that he is the only good shepherd that we have for our souls. He says, I know the Father. And the Father knoweth me. I want you to think about that. The Father knows Jesus, and Jesus knows the Father, and Jesus knows the sheep, and the sheep know Him. And that is the family of God right there, but described under a flock of sheep in this particular passage. How did the sheep become the property of Jesus? Verse 29. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. Jesse gave some sheep to young David to take care of. Almighty God gave sheep to the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of. That's how they became His. How did the sheep become the property of Jesus? God gave them to Him. They didn't give themselves to Jesus and become sheep. God gave them to Jesus Christ as sheep. 
And Jesus calls them out by name. He calls them. They follow Him. They hear His voice. Practically. And they follow Him. This is the description of sheep in this passage. When were they given? Those sheep were given to Jesus Christ before the world began. Ephesians 1 and 2 Timothy 1 teaches us that. Can the sheep ever be lost? Verse 28 says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. There is not a chance of a sheep being lost. Jesus said in John 6, He would not lose one of them that the Father had given Him. And here He states the same thing. I give unto them, the sheep, eternal life. Who are the sheep? The ones God gave Him. They're in His hand. I have this flock of sheep that's been committed to me and assigned to me. I am its owner. They are my sheep. I have them in my hand. No man can pluck them out of my hand. There's no wolf, no thief, no robber, no hireling that can get us out of the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the next verse he says, And they're also in my Father's hands. Because it's a family business. The Almighty God, Jehovah of the universe, chose us as sheep before the world began and gave them to His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant to bring us all to God. And He will do so without losing a single one. Where does the parable break down? It breaks down, brethren. Parables fall apart because any earthly comparison cannot match the infinite affection and devotion that Jesus has for His sheep. It breaks down by comparing us to sheep. Sheep are innocent creatures that willingly eat, follow the shepherd and grow for wool, milk, and mutton. We're not like that. We're malignant, malicious rebels against the shepherd. We are not like sheep, so it breaks down. A shepherd dying for sheep, which is very extreme conduct by a shepherd, is extreme enough. But it certainly becomes extreme when we think of him dying for us. It breaks down by comparing the enemies that Jesus defeated to a mere wolf coming. Wolves are afraid of men. You can say, boo! And a wolf will run. Not every time, if he's very hungry, but there's an innate fear in animals of men. Where are the weapons of the hireling? Where is the commitment of the hireling? But this parable breaks down because Jesus didn't just face a wolf. He faced the wrath of Almighty God, His own Father. He faced the machinations of the devil. The profane trial that He underwent at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, the perverse torture of a crucifixion, the betrayal and forsaking of all his friends, death and the grave. Our shepherd faced all those things. A shepherd that dies at the, hand, at the, at the jaws of a wolf did not plan to die at the jaws of a wolf. When he goes forth to protect his sheep, he is assuming and he is hoping that he will be able to defend the sheep and preserve his own life. Jesus, there was no accident with him whatsoever. He knew exactly what was going to happen as he went toward the cross throughout his whole life. He knew what faced him in Jerusalem. My brethren, the day of judgment is coming. That's the greatest threat of all to the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, is going to be there and is going to deliver us from the wrath of Almighty God. For He hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. It breaks down by comparing ministerial shepherds to Jesus. For all ministers look like hirelings compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was the best of the New Testament, but he didn't lay down his life for anyone. His life was at risk. He was in fear of death, but he didn't lay it down for his enemies like the Lord Jesus did. It breaks down. Thinking about this shepherd after his death entered upon the greatest work as a shepherd. You know, if a shepherd goes out to fight a wolf and the wolf kills him, we can say that was a shepherd that really cared about his sheep. But what happens to the sheep after the wolf kills the shepherd? The wolf gets the sheep. Anyway, and the shepherd. The business is kind of messed up. But what about the Lord Jesus Christ? He laid down His life. Doesn't He tell us that in verse 17? I lay down my life and I take it up again. And He ended upon His greatest work of being a shepherd after His death and resurrection. If Romans 5, 9 and 10, Romans 8, 34 and Hebrews 7, 25 have taught us anything, the greatest work of Jesus Christ is His life for us now. He is now the great shepherd of the sheep. It breaks down in comparison. It breaks down the motive and purpose of the good shepherd dying for the sheep. An exemplary shepherd, like Jacob or David, might die unintentionally, but Jesus died intentionally, laying down his life for the sheep. You know, an exemplary shepherd might risk his life to save the sheep because he can think about taking them to market. That's not a happy end for the sheep. But the Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for us that we might have pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. Amen. Can you apply this parable to yourself? The sheepfold that Jesus was a shepherd of was a Jewish sheepfold. And you are not a Jew. So you were outside his fold. And so he said to you, he said to me in the 16th verse, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. That's you. That's you Gentile. Them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice. That's why we're in this assembly. We have heard his voice. He's called us out of this world. We're his sheep. We've heard his voice. We've believed on him. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. There is one kingdom and one church of the Lord Jesus Christ made up of Jews and Gentiles because our shepherd broke down the middle wall of partition between us. Caiaphas is going to prophesy in the very next chapter that Jesus Christ is going to draw together in one all the scattered children of God throughout the world, no matter what nation thereof. How can you know that you are one of the sheep of Jesus Christ? This should be a very important question and answer to us. How do you know that you are the sheep of Jesus Christ? John chapter 10 and verse 26. Jesus addressed those Jews that mocked him by asking, If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Hadn't he been plain enough for three and a half years? Hadn't his works proven it? He said in verse 26, Ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. This, brethren, is a verse that was instrumental in my conversion many years ago, because this verse is different than how most pulpits preach it. Most pulpits preach that you need to believe on Jesus Christ in order to be one of His sheep. That is wrong, that is backwards, that is heresy. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because you are one of His sheep. And men don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because they are not of His sheep. 10.26 But ye believe not because ye are not of My sheep as I said unto you. My sheep hear My voice. There was a huge division taking place in that audience that the Lord Jesus Christ had. Some heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ and the message He preached and the words He spoke. And they believed those words that this is indeed the Son of God. And they followed Him. There were others that rejected His voice, rejected His words, rejected His doctrine, refused to follow Him, and killed the Good Shepherd. This distinction is being drawn right here. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Jesus knows those that are His that the Father gave Him to preserve as their great shepherd. How, do you, how can you know that you're one of Jesus' sheep? If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and believe the things He taught, and you follow Him with a righteous life by following where Jesus Christ leads, by example and doctrine, then that proves that you are one of His sheep. This following isn't following in the resurrection. What a joke to the passage. Tears away all the practical value of it, and it destroys verses 26 and 27. Why do you think 26 and 27 are there? Why do you think it's there? Why did Jesus preach this lesson? To give some legal, vital, or final phase of salvation? He's preaching this lesson because there had just been a confrontation among the Jewish leadership in John chapter 9 between the Pharisees, the thieves, robbers, and hirelings, and the Lord Jesus Christ that healed a man born blind. And now he tells us that men believe not because they are not of his sheep, but the sheep hear his voice. They hear, they believe, they follow. If you want to know that you're one of the sheep of Jesus... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Believe that He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Believe that He is the only shepherd you need for the eternal salvation of your souls. Believe that that shepherd has paid for your sins by dying for the sheep. He laid down His life for you. Believe that message and follow Him by following His example, following His leading, following His teaching, following His gentle word as he describes how we ought to live in the pages of the New Testament. That is how we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we show that we are his sheep. It is a corruption of doctrine that many teach that you need to believe in order to be a sheep. You believe because you are a sheep. And how are you a sheep? My Father gave them to me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I know my sheep. He'll take care of each one of us in time and eternity. As we come to the Lord's table, we want to know that we are His sheep. The Bible says the Lord knoweth them that are His.
And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, everyone that claims to be a sheep of Jesus Christ, let him depart from iniquity. Second right. Timothy 2.19 As we come to the Lord's table, remember our Lord's love for His sheep. It's beyond all comparison and comprehension that the shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep when we were the sheep and we were malignant, malicious rebel enemies. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's an end for which he saved us. There's an end for which God gave us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that end is that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I close with these words that I love dearly. And that bring us to the cup that we shall hold up and say this cup is the New Testament. Meaning, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Hebrews 13.20 Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Here's the purpose that he saved us. Make you perfect in every good work to do His will. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm not a hireling. A hireling flees. A hireling doesn't care because he doesn't own the sheep. Jesus owns the sheep by assignment from Almighty God of Heaven. He is His Son, and together they have us in their hands. We shall never perish. And what does that shepherd want? This simple little table, this simple little supper, where we remember His death till He comes. He doesn't want more. He doesn't want a Christmas manger scene. He doesn't want a Good Friday service. He wants the Lord's table. He wants baptism. And He wants assemblies like this where we preach the gospel. But most of all, He wants us to hear His voice and to follow Him and to go out of this place and live like Jesus Christ is our shepherd. May Jesus Christ be praised.